All right, let's get started. Uh, Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. The title of the message today is Content and Thankful in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, and start reading in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against any, as Christ forgave you, so also you do. And above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And everything, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. As we as God's people, as his sheep, we look in God's word and we see how he has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings. I bring this point up a lot. We look in the Old Testament and you look at the history there of the children of Israel And you can see examples of what went on there. And we see a type and a shadow and a picture of the New Testament church. And many times the children of Israel, as they were doing their thing over a few thousand years, we can see many times that they would murmur and they would grumble and they would complain. It's a famous theme throughout the Old Testament. We see a lot. And we look back on that and we often look at their mistake there and we kind of, as New Testament believers, shake our heads and say, man, look at what they're doing. Look at what they did. But if you look in the New Testament, uh, the writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Spirit of God show that some of the same things happen to New Testament believers in, in churches. And if you're honest with yourself, I think you've probably caught yourself being like the children of Israel of old, murmuring and complaining and not being thankful or content. The New Testament, it's full of uh, warnings and admonitions, exhortations uh, concerning this very issue. And we do realize that those who have been made righteous, in other words, been justified with the spotless robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ can fall into bad attitudes. We know that. And God, he utilizes several means at his disposal. He runs providence. He chastises people. If he wants his people to have communion with him and to grow and to learn and to mature, He's going to use everything at his disposal, which is everything, to correct his children and get their attitude adjusted. We know that God's sheep, they get spoiled, they get lazy, they get self-centered, 
They get self-absorbed. They don't look upon the things of others to reach out to others that are in the body of Christ. They get wrapped up in me, myself, and I. And they don't even sometimes realize the spiritual blessings that we talk about that are in Christ that we just kind of chuck away and take for granted or just put on the back burner when things in our life seem to be a little bit more important than the glory of God. Sometimes God's sheep will get in such a state that they will look outside the congregation of God, the flock of God, the people of God, and they will, and outside the word of God, and go to the world for counsel, get the world's opinion. And they will maybe allow the world to shape their minds about their position in this life or maybe, quote unquote, their dreams. That's a big thing today. Follow your dreams. I'm sure everybody has that in mind, what their dream is. Some of my dreams I talked about with those two pastors last night. That doesn't mean I always think that way. But the the sheep of God, sometimes they might get attached and entangled in this earthly kingdom and allow the world to determine what's valuable and what we look to for the opinions of the world that are saying you should be like this or be like that. We get maybe sometimes wrapped up in things Some would call that materialism. They don't even have to be expensive things. But we get wrapped up in things or money or things that money can buy. Uh, Trends, the collective consensus of, of what the world says is important. And the world is, this is this, what we're, this life that we're in, it's a battle for the mind and the world is screaming out for your attention constantly. The religious world, the political world, Hollywood, money, fame, power, entertainment, they're wanting your attention. And scripture keeps driving us back to renewing our minds, keeping our focus, Christ-centered, gospel-centered, all things for the glory of God. And we'll look at some texts that talk about that. Sometimes the sheep of God get wrapped up in relationships that will draw them away from these things that we're supposed to focus on, that the Word of God tells us to focus on, whether they be with uh, relationships with and are influenced by unbelievers, whether they be co-workers, friends, family, to the point of eclipsing the glory of God and these things that faith is supposed to direct our minds to, which is the glory of God and redemption, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord our righteousness. Sheep are prone to wonder, right? Wander, W-A. Sometimes they wander too with W-O. But that's a problem with sheep. They're not real smart. But we as sheep must be dependent on the shepherd's voice. Constantly look to the shepherd, hear his voice, And hear not the voice of a stranger, whether it be a religious voice of a stranger or an entertaining voice of the stranger or anything that would rob us of our agenda for the glory of God. So as we wander 
and are not thankful because we're not content with anything. Then comes the murmuring. Then comes perhaps a coldness moves in. Perhaps there is a lack of communion with God. And before long, we're seemingly spiritually off track. And it varies from person to person. And I don't think anybody, if they've been a believer for very long, could deny that this has happened to a certain extent in your life. The result is the, the whole life agenda changes. A few years back, I did a message around the new year. You know, everybody has the New Year's resolutions. And uh, it was called, uh, I believe it was called an agenda for the glory of God. And uh, I would hope that when we renew our minds with the scripture, that, that daily should be our agenda. Our agenda should be for the glory of God. And no matter what we do, we should have an agenda. If you don't have an agenda, you have no vision. You don't know what direction you're going. Some people, I guess, maybe walk around aimlessly, but you need to get an agenda. And if you need some explanation of what that is, we're having that meeting during lunch. I can tell you what an agenda should, I think, should look like. We talk about it all the time here anyway. There in our text, go back to the, the first verse there. We're going to look at uh, four verses. I want to make some comments. And we're going to move on to some other things. Therefore, as the elect of God, we're going to do a series, uh, I'm going to say early next year, on the doctrine of sovereign election. Looking forward to it. Here, Paul, writing to the Church of Colossae, talks about there is a group of people and they are named the elect. That's who he's talking to. These are the sheep. These are his people. These are the remnant. Several other synonyms, and we'll, we'll cover that in our uh, upcoming series. But this is who this is written to. Those that God has chosen before the foundation of the world to save. He says that they are holy, which means they're set apart. They're sanctified. They're consecrated. Already. Not by what they have done, but they are sanctified and set apart in Christ. He is our sanctification. We're sanctified by his blood and the spirit of God has set us apart by giving us spiritual life. It's nothing that we uh, affect, something that God effectually does. And then he calls uh, these people beloved, means that they're loved of God. Those that God loves, he chooses. And those that he chooses, he makes sure that he makes holy. He justifies them, makes them holy, sanctifies them. So far, just these three things, election, sanctification, the fact that you're loved. This alone should be enough just in this life to be content with, to know these things. And to be content with and to be thankful for. And it should be enough. Just these, just this partial sentence should be enough incentive to fuel you in your thankfulness and your contentment. So he says, as a result of this, here's 
you are these things. So because you are these things, it goes on, put on tender mercies. And this is going to be things that you do in reference to how you deal with other people. Tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against any, as Christ forgave you, forgive them the very same way. We've done messages on that in particular too. Gospel forgiveness is one that's on Sermon Audio. But this is key here. You don't, you don't go around withholding forgiveness. You're not God. Don't act like you think you're God. Make people do things to earn forgiveness. That's, that's Arminianism. It's wicked. It's evil. That's conditionalism. Verse 14, and above all things, put on love. We know, go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It's, that's clear. Uh, I read that at all weddings and explain that a little bit. And the priority is put there on love. It, it doesn't matter if you're a walking, talking theologian, if you're the go-to guy for, you know, all the spectacular doctrines that we hold to. If you are a jerk and if you're not treating people with these things mentioned, tender mercies, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forgiving. If you're not doing that, that's, that's how you show love, first of all, right? If you're not doing that in that way, it doesn't matter what you say or what you hold to. You're, you're, you're wasting your breath. And you're, you're, pri you're proud. God hates pride. You're divisive. God hates that. Above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So God's people are said to be perfectly joined together of one mind. That's the goal. Joined together in one mind it talks about the bond of peace among the church and the unity and brotherly love. Don't realize how important that is. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, rule or reign or dominate in your hearts to which ye also are called in one body, and notice this, and be thankful. And be thankful. That's just not a cherry on top. Are you not thankful for the things that are mentioned in the text before we got to this point? There's enough there for thankfulness to flow out. Go to the previous chapter, Colossians 2. Let's look there a second. Just see some similar talk as Paul writes this church here in uh, verse one, Colossians two one. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those there at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, haven't even met Paul. He's thinking about these people that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and to all riches of the full assurance 
of understanding to the full knowledge of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now remember last week, we talked about in our message last week about the foolishness of the philosophy and thoughts of man, the man-centered humanism. And we talked about the wisdom of God, which if you could condense what the wisdom of God is, it's Christ and him crucified. We saw that in, our, in one of the texts we look at. That's what it is specifically, Christ and him crucified. That's the magnified wisdom of God. People are ignorant of that. And even if they hear that, they don't understand what that means because of their view of the person and work of Christ. Most have a view of the person and work of Christ that miserably failed, who is a beggar and he cannot get the job done. Poor Jesus, their Jesus, can't, he can't do it. You got to help him, right? Because he didn't finish it. Wisdom of the world, making the gospel of none effect. That's, that's basic. That's basic and elementary to see. And if you care anything about the glory and character of God, you will say things about that. Point that out. Make those distinctions. I don't want to identify with the false Christ. I know who he is. I used to hang out with him in my religious days. But God granted me grace and repentance to have a change of mind through the revelation of the gospel that's right here in the scripture, the one that we look at all the time. But we talked last week about the mystery of the gospel is no longer a mystery because it's been revealed to his people. We looked at a, a few different texts that said that. So it's no longer a mystery. And it talks about full assurance and full knowledge here. And of course, this doesn't mean uh, we're not saying that we know everything and we can't learn anything new. That's that's ridiculous. I hope we learn something new every day. And the more we learn, the more we see, like we feel like we don't know anything, the more that we learn. We have a desire of yearning to learn more as we dig into the treasures. The next verse says it, in whom are hidden, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowing that this verse is true, knowing that those are there, don't you yearn to dive into those treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that you may glorify God all the more and so that you may grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that it will affect your life in such a way that it will increase your love for him. It will bolster your assurance. You will have peace Right. Your peace will be uh, abounding and intensified. Uh, don't you want peace and assurance like on steroids? Right. I've never I'd like to have steroids. You know, I'm getting to the age where uh, I just get home and eat, fall asleep. And I don't remember anything from the night before. Not because I'm drinking. It's because I feel like I'm ancient. And I'm tired and I'm hurting and I got no energy. And I can almost hear the testosterone flowing out my body like a balloon when you go. 
I like to have some shots. Well, spiritually, when I when I start to see some things, uh, you know, uh, or hear something maybe in a, on a CD, and I'll pause it, and then I'll think about it, and then I'll start. Uh, I can't contain myself. I'll start preaching on the highway. It helps when it's dark, so nobody can see around me that I'm preaching to myself. But that's when I get these thoughts, like I'm 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 craving a deeper understanding. And then I get excited enough to the next person I know that cares to listen. I'll tell them a little bit about what I was thinking about or what I was trying to say. There's treasures there. Wisdom and knowledge. The father said, ask and I'll give you wisdom. I'll give it to you liberally. Are we asking? Verse 4. Colossians 2, 4, and I say, I, I say this, that not anyone shall beguile you. The word means deceive. I'm, I'm telling you this because I don't want people to deceive you, is what he's saying. With enticing words or persuasive words. Now, we use, it's my job to use persuasive words, the persuasive words of the word of God. But the false prophets, they will use persuasive, deceiving words to draw away from the truth of what the scripture is saying. And their job is easy because of the natural state of man, how that man is prone to look inside and to count himself something. So being a, being a false prophet, a false preacher is a gravy job. You can make some money, no doubt about it. You can influence people in wicked ways, and they don't even know. They think they're doing the best thing they can do. Persuasive, enticing words. We, we have to know the difference. Paul says, this is why I'm telling you this. I'm warning you, don't fall prey to these religious goofballs. Verse 5, Paul wasn't there with him. He said, though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit. He, in other words, he's, he's thinking about them. That's what that means. Simply, Paul didn't super project himself as a ghost in their midst. He's just thinking about them. You've seen that phrase used before. Rejoicing and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. What's that look like? Rooted up and built up in him. That's where we get the word edification. It also gives the idea of growing up, maturing up. He is the source of our, of our feeding, right? We're not the root. We're at the tail end. So we, we are rooted up and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it, in the faith, what? With thanksgiving. You notice how this keeps coming along with these things we're talking about. It's not talking about thanking yourself. It's talking about an outside source that's providing this for you 
that had nothing to do with you earning it. And here's the warning in verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. It goes on to use a phrase here, in vain deceit. And I want to get the word vain and put it in front of philosophy, vain philosophy. I want to give a sort of a commentary like we did last week about philosophy in and of itself <clears throat> just merely means the way you think. We have a biblical philosophy, a Christian philosophy. We think the way the scripture, we're supposed to think the way the scripture tells us to think, teaches us to think. So this verse here, Paul's not saying stop thinking. He's just saying don't think like the world. Have a Christian philosophy. Have a biblical philosophy. It goes on, and vain deceit. And he describes that a little bit. After the tradition of men, after the elements of the world, and not after Christ. Tradition's one thing that will draw us away from Christ. The elements of the world, no matter what they might be, I think, especially here, it's talking about religious elements of the world. We, we talked last week about what that foolishness is. Uh, you could spend years talking about that. So there's the warning. He says, I don't, I don't want you to be beguiled or deceived with these persuasive words because they can be persuasive. Verse 9, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And notice this. And you are complete in him. You are absolutely complete in all that you are, your salvation, in Christ. Nothing more to add by you. Nothing you can do to change it or affect it. The work has been finished. Sovereign grace is the only way of salvation. The only type of salvation is the energy that God puts in. It's called monergism. It's divine energy by God. You're the one on the other end. He's doing the saving. You're the one being saved. You're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He runs it all. He's the head of the body, it says in Ephesians 1. So stop and camp there just one second and ask, first of all, do you know that you're complete in him? It says right here that you are. It's, this is the truth. If you are his, you are complete in him. So are you content with your completeness in Christ. I'm telling you what, this right here is, is so important because if you are not, this is where you go awry. This is where you step off and start getting into trouble. You can look at all the, this book itself. There are warnings in here of some problems that had happened because they lost focus of their completeness in Christ. They dabbled in other things that maybe would make them complete. Look at the book of Galatians. They were not satisfied with Christ alone. They were enticed by persuasive words, by those that brought in another gospel by stealth. And they were flirting with dietary laws, special days, 
and other things that were in the law, circumcision and things like that, to add to their completeness. You could go through every, almost every New Testament book and find examples of this. And then after the scriptures were written, we can see throughout church history things that have been added to make oneself more complete. We have experienced in our own lives. We dabbled in false religion that all it did was to make you complete by the things that you do added to what Christ has already done, which he really didn't. He didn't finish it. That's why you're adding things to, to shine it up. So contentment in the completeness of Christ is vital to, to see and to remember so that we don't go off in a different direction. We want more. So automatically you would think that what this means is, I think I brought this up in a message not too long ago, that contentment and thankfulness go hand in hand. If you're not content, you're not going to be thankful. You can't be. You can't be. So I am thankful and we should be thankful for our completeness in Christ and be content with that. So what would cause us to stay there? Well, grow in the knowledge of your completeness in him. I mean, you could just make that statement, just like give a, a, a verbal uh, agreement. Yeah, I'm complete. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm complete in Christ. Of course, it's, it's in English. How can you deny it? And then move on. I mean, <laughs> the whole ministry is about learning your completeness in Christ. You can grow in that. And the more you grow in it, the more content you'll be with it. And the more you'll see those things that compete with the completeness in Christ, the more you'll recognize them a mile away and you'll say, nope, I see it coming. You know, you'll see it quicker. You'll see it clearer. This is a biblical training issue. This is exercising our spiritual senses. Being skilled in the word of righteousness, as it says in Hebrews 5. Verse 12 says, but we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. This, again, is these spiritual blessings mentioned in like Ephesians 1, for example, verse 3. They are freely, that's sovereign grace, they're freely given to us by God because of Christ. He earned all of that for his people. Go to Romans 6. I, just, I want to look at some verses uh, as we taper off here of uh, thankfulness and, and maybe a couple about contentment. You know, the Pharisee, this is used sometimes different ways. The Pharisee looked at the publican, the tax collector, and he stood and thus prayed with himself, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I'm being thankful to God that I'm not like this guy over here. I'm not like other people implying that I'm better 
And he listed why he's better. He fasts and he does all that. He started naming his stuff. Named similar things too. But Lord, Lord, haven't I done many wonderful things in your name? All right. So he, in his deception, he had been beguiled or deceived. He had been persuaded by one of his false teachers before him that you can do things to be accepted before God, be accepted with God. And he was uh, so convinced of that that he thanked this God that he claimed to believe in. But he prayed with himself, it said. He stood and thus prayed with himself. His prayer did not reach any higher than, uh, as some would say, the ceiling. He was talking to himself. But he was pointing out, I'm not like this guy. Similar to the self-righteous automatic natural response of Adam. It was the woman you gave me. And the woman said it was a serpent. You know, the blame game. Or as you compare yourselves among yourselves. Well, I'm not... Uh, like Hitler, right? A lot of pedophilia going on in the news. You could say, "Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a pedophile." Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, how hard? It, you're great, then, right? You're not a pedophile. Congratulate. Swing the gates open. He's not a pedophile. He satisfied law and justice because he doesn't want to mess with little kids. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that's self righteousness. Some might say, well, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a homosexual. And they would, they would just as soon be right next to those people that would pick up stones to actually kill homosexuals. When Christ stood and straightened that mess out, he said to the religious people that were rejecting the gospel, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you because you've rejected my truth. The very ones that would kill homosexuals would never think about a homosexual move. Some talk about the sin of homosexuality and they, they categorize it as a, a hideous sin. All sins hideous. According to what Christ said in the text I just quoted in Matthew, the self-righteousness is way more hideous than homosexuality. Get a clue on that. People can't wrap their minds around that. Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked. He's the one Paul here is giving credit to. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing to those that believers that are in the church of Rome who have believed the gospel. He's talking about that. But God be thanked that you were, past tense, the servants of sin, but you have obeyed, or it just means simply believed, from the heart, this is the mind, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. You believed the gospel. Obeying the gospel is just simply believing the gospel. To no credit of yourself, because we know God works in a person the same power that it took to raise up Christ to work in him to believe. Irresistible grace. Being then made free from sin, you became 
the servants of righteousness. So God gives eyes to see the truth. God be thanked for that. He gives life, gives faith, gives an understanding, reveals who Christ is in the gospel. And after that, it is too late. <laughs> You're in. Thank God. No conditions on your part, no steps. I remember in false religion, the steps, right? Was, I, put, I posted something and um, found one of those ridiculous chick tracks, little booklets. I used to be enamored with those back in my false religious days. I'd, I'd pass them out. Loved getting a new one, checking it out. It was, it was entertaining. And it, it was just a, a booklet that promoted conditionalism, the whole thing. It promoted fear. And to get out of that fear, you had to do a condition because you had to fulfill those conditions because Christ did not fulfill the conditions in the first place. Rank false religion. Chick publications. Rank as in a stench. As David Atkins would say, a detestation. <laughs> Terrible. Ridiculous. And there are, there are people on Facebook this week after I posted that I saw one in a bathroom, didn't want to touch it for two reasons. But some people is like, is like, and these people call themselves sovereign grace. What's wrong with those? And I believe they're sincere. They just, they'll look through it and they'll say, I don't see anything wrong. And I believe them. And, and that's too bad. That, that's sad to me. And it is, it should humble us because, it humbles me because I used to be there. And I'm, I'm sad that there are churches that call themselves sovereign grace that maybe have those in the track racks. God's simple plan of salvation, they have those too. You know, they have all this conditional literature. There's sovereign grace on paper, but not in the track racks. For some reason <laughs> doesn't make sense it's because they're not sovereign grace in the pulpit but God be thanked that this happened this took place we see the means clearly displayed here that form of doctrine that was delivered to you this is the gospel it's Christ and him crucified and we were freed thankful to God for that the means that uh, he used that told us about the ground of salvation, Christ and him crucified. Let's go to, we're going to have to wind it down. First uh, Corinthians 15 and verse 50. This is a tremendous chapter that deserves, like every chapter, more time. But there's some encouraging things uh, in this chapter. First Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, 
For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. And for this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. How? By you doing a good job with the law, so don't sting. Which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, for righteousness. It's finished. He's the victory. Thanks be to God. He makes the difference. We're complete in him. Are you content with that? Look at the last verse there that I want to look at, uh, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, because of what I just said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable in these things. The fact that we should be thankful to God because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ satisfied law and justice, that's propitiation, for his people as he substituted in their place and represented them to the Father, was their mediator and their advocate now. Are you content with that? Are you clamoring for something more than your completeness in Christ? Surely it's not that simple that you are complete in him and that's it. You got somehow you got to adjust that, right? No, that's it. That's all. You're complete in him. Now grow in that idea. Study that idea. Study what Christ did and who he is when he did that. To make you complete in him. You'll spend a lifetime. Remember what it said in uh, the last sentence. The last verse of the last chapter of the gospel of John. I'm going to have quoted here. It said something like. If, if all the things were written concerning this Christ. That this book was written about. The worlds could not contain the books. And I'm telling you, this, this idea, this one sentence, or other sentences like this concerning that we are complete in him, 
or things that that are just short snippets in the scripture about who he is or what he's done. Sometimes they're just like just one liners. It will take a lifetime. You won't exhaust it is what I'm getting at. You can grow in that. There is enough food there to sustain you. And if you're craving something more, you're not getting what is being said. You're not digging deep enough. You're not seeing you're not you're not diving into those treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. You're diving into the wisdom of the world. And you're tapping into your self-importance of your vain philosophy. Yesterday on the deck, I was talking to Eric and he kind of, he was joking. He said something about running out of things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it can't, it can't happen. If you hear a preacher saying he, he's run out of things to talk about concerning Christ and the gospel. Mm, that's rough. <laughs> that's rough. I read this a couple weeks ago. Let me read it real quick. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul writing the um, church at Philippi was in prison. He had been beaten, all kind of stuff. I mean, we're spoiled. We're comfortable. We're here. We got heat in this room. We got padded pews. We got food out there. There's no police breathing down our neck. No government breathing down our neck for saying what we're saying. And um, he says this, and if I remember correctly uh, from my message before, I think I said at this point that before this verse, Philippians 4.11, he had talked about the joy that he experienced 11 times before he got to this verse. Rejoice in the Lord, those statements, a lot of those, most of the rejoice in the Lord statements are in this book right here. Verse 11, he says, not that I speak according to need, for I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. And he was in a bad state here. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound in everything and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He always brings it back around to Christ. It, 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 we would save ourselves a lot of time and trouble if we would just like get this in our mind and agree with it. We deserve nothing. All the scriptures that says don't think too highly of yourself. And when we start to get a little self-righteous, we remember this, that it's not comparing ourselves to ourselves. You don't meet the standard of Christ. You fall short of the glory of God. That is Christ himself. You can't look down on some sin that somebody else is doing and saying that's hideous. When you are walking, talking bag of hideousness yourself. You should feel like that you're the chief of sinners. Keep this abased attitude, this humble attitude that... You are, you are nothing and you have needs that you can't provide yourself and that Christ is your shepherd and you need to be at his feet all the time. Listening to his voice, 
submitting to what he says about these things we're talking about. Any type of uh, self-importance you think you have, man, give it up. And then when you come among God's people, be transparent about that. I mean, we don't we don't have Superman or Superwoman on our chest to have to maintain. We're just we're wretched sinners. We have a constant need of the grace and mercy of God. And that should help us be content and thankful all the time. And whatever you're, whatever's bumming you out, uh, you've got it pretty good compared to Job. Compared to probably some people you know on Facebook that are in different countries that might not have much to eat. People that you know and, and you communicate with that are not believers. You, ha you have Christ. You know people that don't have Christ. I mean, that, that there is the key to thankfulness and contentment. Take heed where you stay unless you fall. You get high-minded, start thinking goofy. God might crank a little something up on you. He'll control something in a specific way to pin you down to say, oh, I got the message, all right. <laughs> Let me tweak it a little bit here. I was thinking stupid, right? And it can happen in a second. You're not in control of anything. Sometimes God takes people out of this life, even in chastisement. You can't control. You can't see it coming. But anyway, we covered Thanksgiving today. Anybody have any questions or comments?